For our second message today, we have a full sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews entitled Malice. Mr. Andrews. I'm going to get to where I need to be here. It's spread all over the world and it's getting worse. It's the title of my message, Malice. And it's interesting in Colossians 3, verse 8, that it says, <clears throat> well, in verse 7, I'd like to start, in which you also walked some time when you lived in them, but now you, are also, now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy communications out of your mouth. When we come into this way, these are the things that we are supposed to put off. And it's interesting, this word malice, and I brought my little iPad up here, if I can get it to pull up. Under Thayer's concordance here, there are um, definitions. Malignity, malice, ill will. Desire to injure. Desire to injure. As you get to thinking about this, in the world that we live in today, these things are becoming more and more prevalent. Wickedness, depravity. Wickedness that's not ashamed to break laws. Malice, evil, and trouble. Right? <clears throat> we have to ask that question, why? Why is the world the way it is? Why? Are we so evil and so wicked? I mean, we, we know from the Bible that God had to destroy the, the world that was because of that. And we know that in the end time, that the Bible says it's going to get exactly like that. And so as we see this malice spreading throughout the world, we have to ask why, what, what's happening? Well, it's interesting that the Bible does give us an understanding of what it is that's going on, and hopefully I'll be able to help us understand it a little bit better today. So I'd like to ask that question why with three one-verse scriptures. And the first one's in Jeremiah. I can find Jeremiah in here. 17 and verse 9. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. And I'm not going to read the rest of it because we know what's in these scriptures. We know who's in charge. But Jeremiah wrote down what the Lord said. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In Romans, the eighth chapter. Paul also begins to help us to understand in verse 7 only, because the carnal mind, and that means just the normal natural mind, without God's spirit, the carnal mind is enmity. It's an enemy against God. 
It's not subject to the law of God, neither can, indeed, can it be. And one more. Laying the groundwork of this message, these three verses. Ephesians 2, verse 2. He said, wherein in time past you worked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So we have a, essentially a fertile heart for good or for evil. And what seems to be going on is evil seems to be encompassing this world. Ill will towards those, especially, who believe in this way. As I said, the heart is fertile ground for evil. Let's turn to Matthew, the 15th chapter, and see what our Savior does have to say about that. Now, my version is the easy reader. I'm not good with the these and thous. So if it's a little different than the King James Version up there, I would like to let you know that. <clears throat> Chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Do not you yet understand that whosoever enters, whatsoever enters into the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the dry? And we're all familiar with that particular function. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. What we speak, what we say, comes out from inside of us. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, Fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat of unwashed hands defiles not a man. So that he was, the confrontation that he was having with them was, you know, they had this thing, well, you had to wash your hands and had before you ate. But he sat down, started eating, and he said, well, that, that's not going to defile you. But what is in the heart? That defiles a man. What's in the heart? In James, the first chapter, James has a very good um, formula for how sin comes about and how it works. Find James. Oh, before Peter, isn't it? James, the first chapter, beginning of verse 13. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be temp tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every, this is the formula, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when the lust has conceived... It brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, the ultimate goal at the end 
of all sin, unrepented, is death. And if it's not repented, it's the second death. The fiery furnace, the, uh, the end of all life, your life, our life, if we do not repent. And so James gives us that understanding of what happens when we allow the lust and things that enter into us and become a part of us. It was interesting in this that we're tempted is um, to solicit to sin the temptation of the evil. In other words, to allow that to be a part of us, to allow it to, to continue on in our lives. In Hebrews, the third chapter, we're very familiar with this, and I read it quite often, but I think it's important for us to understand that this is how God felt about what went on in the wilderness and how he doesn't want it to be a part of our life, how he's very concerned for each and every one of us that we have a relationship with him. And as Elias said, we would like to have the whole world have this understanding and have this relationship. So he said, Wherefore, the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 long years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation. And I said, they do always err in their heart, and they, are not known, and they have not known my ways. And yet he gave them at the Mount Sinai. As he was talking about the Torah, the law, he gave the law. It was a powerful presentation. And yet they rejected. They didn't want to go into the promised land. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 long years. And he said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Verse 10, before that, he said, I was grieved with that generation. They do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways. And of course, in verse 12, he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But he says, Exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Just what we we're talking about. Now it's interesting that this word malice means ill will, anger, different things, wickedness, depravity. Uh, it's, it's something that, that seems to be so um, ubiquitous in the world, so prevalent now in the world. And people use it to, um, you know, to get at those who believe in this way. They use it to malign, to ridicule. It's interesting, the very first, the very first time that this shows up, even though the sin that Adam and Eve did in the garden, God put them out. He said, this is what's 
you know, you're going to have to be outside of my beautiful garden. And in chapter 4 of Genesis, Adam and Eve had a son. Their firstborn son, Cain. And she was happy. I've been the man, child from the Lord. And she again bore a brother, his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. We don't know how long they lived. The Bible isn't really clear about how long those two brothers worked together. One tilling the ground, one raising the sheep and everything. But it's obvious from what we read here that they knew what God expected them to do. They, they knew. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. And Abel, he brought the firstlings of his flock, and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect to it. Why? Because that's what God told them to do. This is the offering that you're told to bring. The firstling of your flock. Could not Cain have bought or given uh, remuneration out of, the, out of the ground for a sheep? Sure, he could have done that. But instead, he did something else. He had malice, ill will towards his brother. But Cain, but to Cain and to his offering, because God had respect for Abel's offering, but to Cain and his offering, he didn't respect it. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. He was just, oh, you know how, how you get, you know, how people get when they're, when they're really angry. And the Lord said to Cain, because he recognized what was going on, why are you angry? And why have, has your countenance, why is your countenance fallen? He says, if you do well, Shall you not be accepted? This is what I'd like. This is what I want. If you do this, you're going to be accepted. Now, God was telling him, this is, this is what I'd like. This is how it's supposed to be done. And if you do not, well, sin lies at the door. So it was sin that was beginning to take Cain over. Malice, ill will, anger, all of those Horrible things that sometimes enter into our life. And you shall be, and he, and to you shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. It'll all of a sudden just take a hold of hold of you, and you can't let it go. Cain, it says it talked, but I think they there was an argument, and most of it was Cain arguing and being belligerent with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Killed him. First murder. No telling how long they'd lived together. No telling how long they'd worked together. But that sin had been building and building until it, it came to fruition with the murder of his own brother. And the Lord said to Cain, Where's Abel, your brother? Uh, you know, being smart... He says, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. 
Of course, there's a lot more to that. But understand that malice, that wickedness that begins to, to, to build inside of a person can eventually turn in to a very horrible thing, murder, theft, whatever, malice towards, ill will towards others. In the end time, or the latter days, dangerous, perilous times are here. <laughs> we keep saying they're coming, but I think they're here. I think that they have arrived and that we're living in them, but we get used to it. We kind of get used to the, to the fact that um, gangs kick in the doors of innocent citizens and rob them. Uh, we kind of get used to the idea that every once in a while somebody will come up and, and take a gun and, and, and uh, you know, take your money or take your car and, uh, oh, well, the police will catch them. We kind of get used to the idea in the world that people lie and cheat and steal. We kind of get used to all those things. And in reality, we got to understand that these are the signatures of the end times. We see prophecy, but we also see the, the moral decay of the nations, the moral decay of the individuals, the moral decay that happens in the world and in our own nation. In 2 Timothy, the third chapter, Second Timothy 3, and beginning in verse 1, This know, know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Every time I read this, I keep thinking about the news that I read on a daily basis. I think about the, the things that are going on in the world that we see on a, on a daily basis. Every one of these fits today. And he says, know this in the last days, towards the end of, of human society, just before the Messiah, Christ, returns to this earth, these are the things that you're going to, have, you're going to notice. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Even those that are holy and supposedly write holy things, now are writing and allowing to be written unholy things because they're, they're succumbing to, the, to the, um, uh, the will of the perverts in the world, unfortunately. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors. <laughs> Already we have two traitors to this country. Heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but benign the power thereof, from such turn away. From such turn away. And just uh, in the first Timothy... The fourth chapter. You know what? I think I'm going to imbibe. And I... 
Usually don't do that, but boy, I am really getting a little bit on the thirsty side here. Beginning in verse 1 of of 1 Timothy in the fourth chapter, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, in the latter times, each of us, I do, I I listen to the news all the time. I'm a newsaholic, and I think I remember uh, telling you that that was the first thing my dad would do. He'd he'd get up in the morning, and he'd shave, and he'd get ready for work, and then, oh, the paper. (laughs) Where's the paper? So he'd he'd have the front page open. He'd be looking at uh, the news. I don't even know if he even, I can't remember whether he liked sports. The only thing he liked was boxing, because he was a, uh, he was, he, he'd done boxing when he was a, a youth. So he would, he kind of liked the boxing, but that was about it. He didn't really have much on the other sports. But he sure was on the news, and he was, all, and that was, I think that kind of, I don't have a paper, but I, this, this computer, I mean, I can get all kinds of news off of it. All kinds of interesting news. But in that Latter times shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This is, that's an interesting, that is an interesting concept. Because everyone is, I think, when we're born, we're given a conscience. And if we're not, if, if we grow up um, with some civility, in our family, that conscience kind of helps us to get through life. But once that conscience is seared, it, and I looked it up, it's interesting, this word hot iron means branded. A soul that's branded with a mark of sin. A soul that's branded with a mark of sin. So if your conscience is branded with a hot iron, your soul is brand with a hot iron, you're on your way to the lake of fire. That's what it amounts to. You probably don't even know that you are on that way. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God created, there's, there's more of these things that you can, you can read down through there. Now, I forgot to bring up one thing. I'll just hold on a second, and I'll see if I can find it. I thought this was uh, quite interesting, quite profound, and uh, I want to take a minute to, to go through it. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it. If you want to look on World Net Daily, you can. David uh, Couplin, I think I've actually brought him in up, up a couple of times before. He's kind of a, <laughs> I don't know what, how to say it. He wrote the, he wrote the book, The Marketing of, Marketing of an Evil and How Evil Works. And I, I, I said the last time I brought one of his papers up, I was going to buy the books, and I haven't bought them yet. <laughs> so I just read his little articles, because he, he goes out and he looks for these things that are going on in the world, and what is really affecting those that have a, a belief in this word. Maybe we don't all of us understand. You know, maybe we haven't come to the all complete and total understanding. But there are those that are suffering because they call themselves Christians or Jews, and they're suffering in this society today. 
and it's from a very small minority who have now the, the ear of the courts. Remember when a few weeks ago Newt Gingrich called and forced resignation of Brendan Eric as uh, Mozilla CEO an open blatant example of the new fascism? Tra uh, Charles Krauthammer called it totalitarian. Pat Buchanan labeled it the new blacklist and the red state headlined it as a fascist purge. Even foul-mouthed left, leftist comedian Bill Mayer described the uh, perpetrators as the gay mafia. While well-known gay media personalities condemned it, Andrew Sullivan saying it disgusts me and radio talker um, Tammy Bruce uh, calls out uh, the gay, calls it the gay Gestapo. As everyone knows, Eric, or how you pronounce his name, it's, it's E-I-C-H, the, uh, the tech progeny who created JavaScript and, and which is behind all of the computer stuff that it, most everybody uses and co-founded Mozilla, uh, maker of Foxfire, um, had committed the unpardonable sin. Here's what he did. He donated $1,000 to Proposition 8. A man and a woman should be the only ones, you know, that are considered uh, proper in marriage. Proposition 8, in California, passed. <laughs> by a big majority, by the way. And the courts then overturned it. Upholding... Proposition 8, upholding traditional marriages. He denoted $1,000. And when he was forced out as CEO of his company, it seemed everyone was shocked at this singularly egregious injustice. However, in reality, what happened uh, to him, widely denounced as fascist, totalitarian, mafia-like, and Gestapo-like, is, uh, is not only not unusual in today's America, it has become a routine and disgraceful part of the normal warp and waft of our daily lives. You just watch the news, brother. You watch what's going on. You be very cognizant of what's happening. And what we preach here could get us in trouble, truly. I understand that we're, we're, going, to, we're going to be addressing, we're trying to address that. It truly can get us in this society. Just last week, this is in the news, this is current, just last week HGTV pulled the plug on a highly anticipated new series slated to launch in October, uh, Flip It Forward, which is uh, these two brothers, David and Jason Benham. The show was supposed to be on how an individual could go into a house and, and, and redo it and, and then flip that house, fix it up. Well, they have a moral compass, and they believe that it should be between a man and a woman. And so the network shocked them. We already know about Dick Dynasty's, Duck Dynasty's, uh, Phil Robertson's, uh, and the evangelistic Christian who got, you know, firestorm over his belief. Of course, there was such a firestorm that they put him back in, but also Chick-fil-A, and there was a murder committed because of that. 
I want to, <clears throat> this guy here, um, I want to pick it up here. Um, perhaps part of what, uh, Dan Cathy now says he made a mistake and has become wiser. Perhaps part of what weakened his prior resolve was the August 2012 attempted mass murder attack on the Family Research Council when an angry homosexual activist named Floyd Lee Corkins entered FRC's Washington, D.C. headquarters carrying 15 Chick-fil-A uh, sandwiches and a 9-millimeter handgun shooting a security guard before being overcome by a courageous staffer. After his arrest, Corkins, who told federal investigators, see, and, and there was a video on this, but he was inspired to commit the terror attack on the Christian organization by the far-left Southern Poverty Law Center's hate map. Confessed he had planned to kill as many people as he could, then smear a Chick-fil-A sandwich on their face. Malice, ill will, anger, hatred, because we believe. Because we believe. Cease and desist being a Christian. Or being a, you know, believing in the Torah, believing in, um, in God. But those high-profile news events are truly just the tip of the iceberg. The exact same sorts of totalitarian you aren't uh, allowed to even think that way assaults are occurring all the time throughout America. Here are just a few more everyday examples to consider. You probably heard about the U.S. Supreme Court recent refusal to review the case of New Mexico Christian photographers John and Elaine uh, Huguenin, who were sued by two lesbians under the state's sexual orientation law after de uh, declining to photograph the lesbians' commitment ceremony. But did you hear about the New Jersey case of the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association convicted of discrimination after two lesbians, Harriet and and Louisa uh, decided to hold their commitment ceremony on the Methodist-run association's popular family-friendly boardwalk. After that, Ocean Grove quit the wedding hosting business. Or how about the Aloha Bed and Breakfast in Hawaii, a Christian business for, forced to accommodate two Southern California lesbians after the judge ruled that the bed and breakfast violated state law when the owner told um, these two <laughs> a lesbian, she wasn't comfortable having them stay together in her home due, her, due to her religious beliefs. Aloha has since been ordered by the state to provide a room to any same-sex couple that wishes to stay there. They can put you out of business very, very quickly. Rush Limbaugh had an interesting um, little bit here. Rush Limbaugh reflecting on X or Ike's, um, however you pronounce his name, um, Ouster describes in somewhat harsher tones the same troubling reality traditional minded Americans now face. These people, they claim that, are, that all this is how they are inclusive, and this is how they're promoting diversity, and they're not. They're exclusive, uh, uh, exclusionary. There's no diversity tolerated here. You've got to be one way. There's no openness. There's no kindness. There's no compassion. There's no inclusiveness. And there certainly isn't any diversity on the left. It's just a bunch of brown shirts. 
And if you are not wearing one, you either soon will be or you're going to be ruined. There's no dissent. They have no interest in debating anybody. They have no interest in discussing anything. If you dis disagree with them, you die, figuratively. You're dead. You don't exist. And he, answer, he finishes with, any questions? It's interesting, the world we live in. Those of you who are Trekkies, <laughs> there's a few of us out there. I hate to admit that I'm one of them. <clears throat> Sometimes that probably will get me in trouble with my wife. There's a, there's a, there's a bad guy in there called the Borg, and uh, they always come up and, you know, to the ship and say, "Resistance is futile. You will be dissimulated." Or those who resist will be resent. So, assimilated. Yeah, assimilated. There you go. You will be assimilated. See this? Look, not everybody knows about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. We have one out there that uh, believes that he can do that to human beings. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, Jesus talks about a time that we may be in right now. We may be facing because there's a some in this world that already are losing their life because they say they're Christian or they're a Jew or that they believe in Torah or that they believe in the Bible. Anything that has to do with this book in any way, we are in trouble. Jesus said the time is coming and he says, blessed are they, verse 10, chapter 5, which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Interesting. When you uphold marriage, you could be persecuted for upholding marriage between a man and a woman because you don't believe the two men should be married or two women should be married. He says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And in Matthew 24, in his prophetic look into the future, beginning in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed and let no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name and saying, I am the Christ, or I am the Messiah. And shall deceive many, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in different places, including Oklahoma. All those are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall be many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. It's going to ruin this world. I mean, it's going to uh, break people apart. And it already has in a lot of families where this, is, this has come about. It already has. It's sorrowful. Many false prophets shall rise. And because iniquity, lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold.
shall become cold and hardened to sin and hardened to the things of the world that are wrong and deceitful and evil. We know, though, that resistance is not futile. We know that resistance is not futile. In our society today, we're well equipped. We can, we can buy all kinds of guns, and we can, there's all kinds of knives. You can even get a cane with a knife in it if you want, and uh, pepper spray and mace and, um, you know, all kinds of things to defend yourself against uh, personal attack. We got all that. What we need is spiritual weaponry. <laughs> we need the spiritual weaponry. That's more important than even the physical weaponry. It's a lot more important. 1 Peter 5. We know who's out there. And I should have read that before up here in my, my resistance is futile thing, but hey, I, I put it in sometimes in any old place. <laughs> be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. We understand that. It says, Whom resist? Resistance is not futile. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are compassed in your brethren that are in the world, all around the world. They are resisting. They're standing up to it. Some are not. Some are giving in. Some are allowing themselves to go to, you know, the way, but there is a lot of resistance. And some are losing their life because they refuse to give in, especially to this homosexual agenda. Jesus, our Savior, stood up powerfully we have the same weapons that he had. That roaring lion is out there. He's looking for you, and he wants to take you down. But you have the most powerful weapon, the most spiritual weapon that you've ever encountered. You have this book right here. And you have within your heart, if you have Christ in you, Messiah in you, you have the most powerful weapon. Jesus After he was baptized, the Holy Spirit moved him into the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days. And it says he was tempted of the devil during that fast. But right at the end, I think, right when he was the most vulnerable, right when the time when he could have given in and allowed Satan to win, he was the most powerful. He was the strongest and the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it may be eaten in the bread. And what does he do? Oh, well, I don't know what to say. Well, he did know what to say. Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Come right out of the Torah. Right out of the first five books. He knew that book. He knew the word. He knew it well. He lived by it. The devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment 
of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give you. All this power will I give you. And the glory of them, for it is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I can give it. And if you will there just for worship me, all shall be yours. The devil was so deceptive. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get you behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Right out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down. Hey, I can read the scriptures too. <laughs> cast yourself down. For it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you to, to keep you in their hands. They shall bear you up, lest at any time you shall dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered and said unto him, It is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended all his temptation, he departed from him for a season. You know, he never really left. But there was so much power. It says here in this last... Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He had defeated the devil with the Word of God. What a, what a powerful message that was. We have this to resist with, to resist the devil with. We have this spiritual weapon, this book. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, we also are able to put on so much power, so much armor. You know, the, the weaponry, that, the, the physical weaponry that we can carry. I, when I was up in, in, in uh, Washington with David, uh, uh, he, he's got a shotgun and a pistol, and I'm not very good at any of them. But, you know, you shoot that shotgun and it hurts your shoulder. Shoot it again, hurts it even more. Just keep shooting and it really does hurt. Those are powerful weapons for, you know, hunting or, you know, keeping yourself um, safe. But they're not the weapons that we really need to have to fight against the, the, the principalities, the powers of the air, the demons that are out there. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. Verse 10 of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and everybody knows this, and I read it quite a bit, but I want you to understand in this society with the malice that's out there, the ill will that is out there, the anger that is out there, all that we face, and especially those things that are going to face us as, we, as society becomes more, more and more morally decadent, that's because that's what they're going to do. They're going to become more and more morally decadent, less and less understanding even basic conscience. They're going to give up basic conscience. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That guy, he is, he has the most malice of all. Satan. If he finds somebody that's holy, he wants to make them unholy. He wants to find their weaknesses. He wants to get in and change their nature. He wants them 
to sin and sin and sin until they just give up. Or he wants to, to have them give up on this way of life. He wants them to give up on the Sabbath and the holy days. He wants them to, to go somewhere else, to give up. We need the armor. Take you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And today it is evil. And having done all to stand, we want to stand that day in the kingdom of God, to walk on those golden streets in the kingdom, in that beautiful city. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Here it is. Here it is. The word. Having on your breastplate of righteousness. That's, that's following the law of God. That's keeping the law of God. That's knowing the law of God. That's being able to stand up to those that want you to sin. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The good news of the kingdom of God. It should keep us strong in this way. To understand that one of these days the Messiah is going to return. The Jews are looking. <laughs> they understand he came once. But they are looking for the return of the Messiah just as we are to this earth. They're looking for the signs. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's not just the wicked, that's the wicked one. He's after you and I, because we understand. He's after us. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit the Word of God. What did Jesus use? He used the Word of God to defeat Satan. He used the power of the Word of God to defeat Satan. I think that says a lot about this beautiful book that we have. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It doesn't always have to be on your knees. It can be anytime. Anywhere. <laughs> Hanging upside down. Somebody, <laughs> I remember years ago, they were talking about prayer. Where does, when, when can you pray? Well, what if you're hanging upside down and somewhere and your you know, rope is the only thing that's holding you up? And you can't get on your knees. Can you pray? Why, of course. Anytime, all the time. Ask God for guidance and help and direction and, and overcoming and if, those are the things prayer is, is for, is, is, is coming. And then pray for one another. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And you pray for your the ministry that gets up here and people will see us as Elia wanted them to see us. But when we talk and we say these things, we put our life on the line and we put the church in, in danger, I think, sometimes. And I hope that's not the case. I hope God will put his guardian angels around us, protect us, because we preach the truth. We're preaching the truth. It is the word of God. We're preaching the truth. And I know there's a lot of malice in the world, but we're not to have that. 
We're not to be, to have ill will towards one another. And we are also to want the world to understand what we understand. To come to understand the good news of the kingdom of God. It's so important. I hope this was a enlightening on malice.